Each spring, Pensacola Christian College hosts the Enrichment Retreat designed for pastors, ministry leaders, and church staff to enjoy a time of rest and to be refreshed by the Word of God. Today's message was from a past Enrichment Retreat keynote speaker. Visit EnrichmentRetreat.com for details or to learn more about the upcoming retreat. Luke chapter 15. Look at verse 11, if you would. The Bible says, and he said, a certain man had two sons. Luke 15, 11. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted a substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. He began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. He sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. In the early verses of Luke chapter 15, you find Jesus Christ having one of his many conversations with a group of religious leaders. And these religious leaders, these Pharisees, these scribes, they did not understand Jesus Christ. They could not understand why Christ took time, any time, for publicans and sinners. And the fact that Jesus Christ would reach out and love those that were widely considered to be the absolute dregs of society, this troubled the Pharisees, it troubled the scribes to the core. And so what Jesus Christ did in this chapter was he gave them three parables to help them to better understand God's interest in people, his, his love for people. And you know the story. The first parable was one about a prosperous sheep owner, owner uh, who had a hundred sheep and he lost one. The second parable is about a woman who had 10 silver coins and she lost one. And then we come to this third parable about a man who had two sons. Now, in the third parable, this lost and found parable, the stakes are a lot higher than the first parable. The shepherd lost one sheep out of 100. The woman lost one coin out of 10. But this man lost one son out of only two sons. And we read this story and it's, it's very sad to read about this prodigal son finding himself on this distant this strange country. It's sad to read about him finding himself far from home and far from his father, far from his family, far from his friends, and literally separated from everything that was familiar to him. And to, to think about this young man, it's a, it's a sobering thing to find this, this son who had had plenty. And as we, write, we read the scripture text, we find this young man who had had plenty finding himself all of a sudden in the middle of an incredible famine. He's got no friends, he's got no food, he's got no family. And, and we know that he sat there and he, I'm sure he felt like he had no hope, like he had absolutely no future. And, and as I think about this young man, I think, don't you think that as he looked around himself, saw himself where he was, recognized the condition that he found himself in, don't you believe he just thought, you know what, I'm finished? I mean, it's over. I've gone too far. It's just, it's too late for me. And everything this prodigal son had once possessed, it was long gone. He found himself in the very, very depths of despair during this incredibly terrible famine. He's forced to, to feed someone's pigs. 
And he's forced to eat with those same pigs exactly what those pigs were eating. What a humiliating position to find oneself in as a Jewish young man. This son was absolutely, completely empty when at one time he'd been so full. And you find this prodigal son with nothing left but memories. Memories of good times that just now seem so far away and seems so long ago, literally at the bottom in every way. I mean, you think about the story, and you have to ask yourself, how, how low can one go? And I look at the story, and it's just such a familiar story, but a number of questions pound me. Why, why did this happen? I mean, how could this happen? I mean, what in the world took place? I mean, what could have possibly happened to to lead to such a a pitiful, such a pitiable position for this prodigal son. And there's no question that this prodigal son found himself, not geographically, but in every way, possible way, in an absolutely deplorable situation. I mean, a situation that you know that he didn't set out to find himself in. He didn't think, you know, one day I'll be there. One day I'll find myself with the pigs. One day it's going to be terrible for me. That's not what he wanted, but that's where he found himself. So my question is this, how did that happen? And I believe to discover the answer to that question, you've got to go back to the father's house. Clearly, This son and his entire family were incredibly blessed in so many ways. And as his prodigal son found himself living with the pigs and eating with the pigs, you you know that he looked back on a time that just seemed so long ago. You know that he remembered, and you remember that in spite of the horrific condition that he presently found himself in, you know that he remembered that it wasn't that long ago that he had plenty. It wasn't that long ago when when every single person in his father's house, including the servants, had plenty too with leftovers. They had more than enough. There was no want. There was no lack. There was no need. There There was no fear in his father's house. He had been unbelievably blessed. In his father's house, there was peace. In his father's house, there was provision. In his father's house, there was plenty. Yet in spite of everything that he had, think about this. He wanted out. He didn't appreciate his blessings. He demanded to be free from his blessings. And so I look at the story and I think, you know, the prodigal in Luke 15, he was prodigal in his heart long before he left his father's home for the far country. And clearly, at some point, the prodigal said, you know, what's available to me in my father's house, it's not enough. Clearly, he said, you know what, I want more. I want something different than what I have, and I I want it right now. We need to remember that the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And people tend to say, you know, that guy, boy, he fell into sin. But generally, it's a long, slow process of wrong thinking. I've heard it said that where your mind goes, your emotions will go. Where your emotions go, your life will go. And what is mentally possible becomes physically capable. And clearly, at some point between Luke 15, 11 and Luke 15, verse number 12, this son allowed his mind to go places where his mind should not have gone. He allowed his thinking to go way off course in a a dangerous direction. 
And we need to be so very careful of where we allow our minds to linger. Yeah. Uh, the true battleground's right here, isn't it? Yeah. And that's why the Bible warns us to keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The Bible says, casting down imaginations, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. The Bible says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and there be any praise, think on these things. You see, what we think about is what we're becoming. That's why the, the songwriter wrote, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Well, the son who should have been incredibly grateful because he was unbelievably blessed was not. He went to his father, he said, I want out. And he is so bad in this young man's heart that he's willing to wait. He was not willing to wait for his father to die to get his share of what was coming to him. He went to his father and he said, I want what's coming to me and I want it right now. And this young man chose to leave his father. He chose to leave his family. He chose to leave his faith. He chose to leave all of that for the pig pen. Think about that. He left everything for the pig pen. You say, well, he didn't ask for the pig pen. No, but that's exactly where his choice led him. And this was not God's plan for the son, but we need to remember that our choices always have consequences. Someone said it this way, there's a choice you make in everything you do, but be careful because in the end, the choice you make, it makes you. And this prodigal son did choose the pig pen because in so many ways, his predecision was his decision. And how important it is to understand that every decision we make is so crucial and so vital. Think about this, David, the man after God's own heart, the psalmist of Israel, the slayer of Goliath. He would not have chosen for Amnon, his son, to violate his sister, his daughter, Tamar. David would not have chosen for Absalom to murder Amnon because of what he had done to Tamar. Uh, David would not have chosen for Absalom to, to drive him from his home and for Absalom to live in, in, in incredible wickedness in the sight of all Israel. But you see, David did choose all that when he chose to take Uriah's wife and later Uriah's life. The predecision for David was the decision. And I'm confident that King Saul would not have chosen for his life to end so ingloriously on the battlefield uh, to be wounded by the enemy and to die in his own hand with his body treated so shamefully by the enemies of Israel with his own sons dying on that very same battlefield on that same day. And yet Saul presumed to offer an offering when he knew the offering was not his to make. Saul presumed upon God when he kept back part of the bounty of the Amalekites as well. And he spared the king Agag when God had clearly told Saul to destroy everything. And Saul stepped out on his own time and time again. He did his way instead of God's way, and it led to absolute ruin. There's no question that for Saul, the predecision was the decision. We think of Achan, who knew clearly that the spoils of Jericho were not his. And yet in a moment of temptation, Achan took some gold and he took some silver and he took some clothing that he knew he had absolutely no right to. And Achan defied God's clear-cut direction and Achan disobeyed. And how sad it was to see 36 Israelites needlessly perish at Ai. 
How sad to read of the, the horrific fate of Achan and his whole family. You see, sin brings rewards. But sin's rewards are always rotten. Sin's rewards are always wretched. And we look at Achan and we realize he would never have chosen that in for himself. He would never have chosen that in for his family. He would never have chosen that in for Israel at Ai. But Achan did choose to disobey God. And his predecision was a decision. And what a horrible consequence we read in Scripture of so many who chose to go their way instead of God's way. And yet as sad as these accounts are, and they're terribly sad indeed, aren't they? We also come to a number of other stories in the pages of the Word of God. People like Moses. This man who faced the Red Sea while being chased by the, the massive armies of the Egyptians. Yet in the face of incredible pressure, Moses did not flinch. He, he stood tall in the faith. The Bible says in Exodus 14, 13, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. Moses had incredible faith in God because Moses was a man who had a special relationship with God. The Bible says in Exodus 33, 11, The Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Deuteronomy 34.10, there rose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. You see, Moses could have literally had everything as far as the world was concerned. But in spite of the temptation, in spite of the allure, in spite of the pressure, the Bible says he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Moses became the mighty man of God, the faithful servant of God, the friend of God. But we must understand as way back down the line, Moses chose God and the predecision was a decision. Joseph became the second most powerful man in the most powerful country in the world at that time. And there's no question that Joseph had faced years of trials, years of troubles, years of, of tribulation for sure. But, but what, what power, what possessions God blessed Joseph with as he stood behind only Pharaoh in Egypt's hierarchy. And you look at Joseph and you've got to go back. And you've got to consider Joseph's great faith. When faced by his brothers, Joseph was able to say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And you followed Joseph from the pit to Potiphar's house to prison. And it seemed seemingly in oblivion. But Joseph kept his eyes on God and he chose to walk by faith rather than by sight. And there's no question that when you look at Joseph's life, he could have gone off track in a big way. Not just with Potiphar's wife, but how about with bitterness? How about with wrong feelings toward his brothers as well as everyone else who had wronged him and forgotten him? But as difficult as his trials were, Joseph chose to not allow that to happen. He chose to keep his eyes on God and Joseph ended up exactly where God wanted him to be. Where's our focus today? What are we looking at today? You see, for Joseph, the predecision was a decision. You think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, to think about the reality of a fire furnace is rather overwhelming. But that's exactly what these young Hebrew men were faced with if they did not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's golden image. But in spite of that pressure, you can imagine the pressure that they faced. They would not bow, and they made it absolutely clear there was nothing that could make them bow. And they said, you know, we're going to honor the true and living God. They were steadfast. They were unmovable in their belief in God and their purpose to please God. And you say, well, how could they do that? Well, somewhere back down the line, 
Somewhere before they were stolen away from the country, sometime before they were taken away from their family and their homes, these three Hebrew children had made a decision, and the predecision was the decision. They purposed in their heart they were going to follow God. They purposed in their heart they were going to please God. They purposed in their heart they were going to honor God, and that's exactly what they did. We think of Daniel speaking of peer pressure. I mean, think about being told you cannot pray to anyone but the king for 30 days. Or it's off to a lion's den. And he didn't have his story to read to give him faith. But the Bible says he prayed three times a day as he had done a four time. And at some point earlier in Daniel's life, he made the decision to dedicate each day to his prayer time. And that's exactly what Daniel did. And there was nothing that could shake Daniel. There was nothing that could keep Daniel from his time with God. And in spite of the attacks, in spite of the threats, in spite of the pressure, it was back on his knees for Daniel. You see, this was not a tough decision for Daniel in spite of the looming lion's den. In spite of the incredible pressure the decision had already been made. And the predecision was the decision. Pastor, sometimes I think of the Apostle Paul and his incredible steadfastness. How about you? I mean, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths off. Of the Jews, five times received, I forty stripes saved one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and day have been in the deep. And journeyings often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, and watchings often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And, and pastor, you would understand, and you really alone, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Yet he's the one who said, none of these things move me. Neither count of my life dear unto myself. So that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel, the grace of God. And we ask ourselves, what is it that could keep a man going in the face of such unbelievable persecution? Such incredible hindrances. I mean, what would move a man to sing praises to God after being incredibly, horribly beaten? While secured in stocks, inside of a prison, at midnight, what would move a man to do that? That I may know him. It was all about knowing Christ. It was all about making Christ known. And somewhere along the line, the Apostle Paul had purposed to follow Christ, to follow Christ alone. And the predecision was the decision. You think of people like Noah, who was willing to follow God and the instruction of God through belittling through reviling. But Noah chose to walk with God. He chose to keep his eyes on God no matter what. Genesis 6, 9, the Bible says, Noah walked with God. What a statement to say about someone. And this was God saying this about Noah. Would God this morning that God could say that about us? Yeah, Pastor so-and-so, he walks with me. He wants to please me. He wants to honor me. And that was a decision that led to the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And what would make Stephen willing to face a mob with stones? This mob hurling these stones at Stephen until he died. They took his life, but they could not shake his faith. He was a man full of faith and power. 
Stephen clearly had chosen to place his eyes firmly on God. He did not flinch. He did not back down. He did not waver. Why? Because somewhere back down the line, he had made the decision, and the predecision was the decision. I think back on my life. I grew up as a pastor's home, as I mentioned to you, and I did not get saved, unfortunately, until I was 25 years of age. I heard sermon after sermon after sermon. I remember I graduated from high school and I went off to college in a different state and I thought, well, this is my chance to get a fresh start. The only problem was it took me with me and I was my problem. But May 13th, 1990, I prayed. I said, God, I, I just need you to change my life. I, God, I don't need to make another prayer. God, I don't need to get baptized again. I already been baptized four times as a kid. God, I need you to change my life and I'm so glad that God did. Aren't you thankful today that therefore if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I remember I, I accepted Christ and God changed my life. And I'd gone to school to be a teacher. And I remember the day I was a teacher in a college. I remember the day I was at a gas pump. And God spoke to my heart and said, you're going to be the pastor of Faith Baptist. I said, God, you know, you know you have the wrong guy. I mean, God, I, I, can't, even, I can't even pray in public. God, I can't get up in front of people. I I can't do that. God, I'm completely incapable of that. And God said, that's what I want you to do. Are you going to obey or not? And I'm so glad I trusted Christ. I'm so glad I surrendered to Christ. And I will tell you as a child growing up, if you give me a list of a thousand things to choose to do with my life, being a pastor would not have been on that list. My dad was my pastor, and I thought, you know, why in the world would anyone want to do this job when people get mad at you, and all you're trying to do is be nice to people and love people? I thought, I'm out on that. (laughs) But there's a choice you make in everything you do. Follow Christ or not. When I was a kid, my dad, every night at the dinner table, seven kids in my family, six boys, one girl. He would sit down, I mean, literally, it was like King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table at our dinner table. And he would look around the table, and he would look at each of us, and he would say this. He'd say, son, and there were six sons and one daughter. He'd say, son, what is the chief end of man? And my dad had read in Spurgeon's Catechism that statement, and every night we had to go around the room, and we had to say back to my dad, dad, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So he'd say, Mark, what's the chief end of man? Dad, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. John, what's the chief end of man? Dad, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Tim, what's the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Well, we know 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. But I began to think to myself, well, what's that enjoy him forever stuff? I mean, where does that come from? I mean, what did Spurgeon use as his text for, for that particular truth? Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I remember my dad one day, and my dad's my hero, my dad sat me down. He said, son, do you know what your name means? And I thought, incredibly popular? (laughs) Um, You know, 
outstanding athlete? I mean, dad, t- tell me, Dad, what does it mean? And my dad looked me in the face and he said, Son, your name means to honor God. And he said, How are you doing with that? How's it going? One day, some businessmen were rushing back to their plane in Chicago. And as they rushed down the, the hallway toward their, the terminal, toward their gate, one of the men inadvertently kicked a table that had apples on it that were for sale. Well, they were in a hurry. They had been in this meeting in Chicago. They wanted to get home. And so they kept going around the corner toward their gate so they could make sure they made their plane. But one of the men turned back. And he was so glad that he did because the girl that manned that table, that ran that table, she was blind. And the apples were all over the floor. And he began to pick up the apples and he began to put the apples and he began to separate them, the ones that were really destroyed, that were so badly bruised they could not be sold. He put them on one side and put the good apples on the other. And he took out two $20 bills and he said, young lady, he said, let me give this to you for the apples that we've ruined. And he got up and began to head toward his gate. And she called out to him and she said, Mister? He stopped and she said, Mister? Are you Jesus? And I began to ask myself the question. Am I the example that I need to be? Because you truly are the best Christian someone knows. And every day, every one of us make very, very important decisions like, am I going to surrender to God today? Am I going to walk with God today? Am I going to be disciplined in the area of my prayer life today? Am I going to be a witness for Jesus Christ today? Will my priorities be what God wants them to be today? I mean, I used to always be the young preacher. But I'm not anymore. And I just, I think to myself, what what in the world happened with all that time? And I want my life to count for Christ. And I want to tell you this morning that it's important to start well but it's also really important to finish well. Is what we watch, is what we listen to, is what we read, what Christ would have it to be? Are we all in with all of our heart? God wants you and God wants me to love him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. Do we love God with like that? The Bible says in 1 Samuel 12, 24, serve him with all your heart for consider how great things he hath done for you. Hey, look, just go back to Calvary. Just go back to the nail-pierced hands. Just go back to the the thorn-pierced brow. Just go back to that, that body that was so beaten that the Bible says his body was plowed. The Bible says his visage was more marred than any man. 
I mean, we sing the song, Amazing Love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? That should move us to say, I want to live for God. Today, tomorrow, and every tomorrow after that. Thou art worthy, O Lord. A pastor many years ago told the story, and I close with this, about how he used to enjoy walking through Civil War cemeteries. And as he's walking through this particular Civil War cemetery, I believe it was in Mississippi, he came across two tombstones that caught his attention because he looked at these tombstones, they're right by each other, and on these tombstones were the names of two children that had died at a very young age, obviously brother and sister. And he walked over, and one was a young boy, and he read the story, read the, the dates, and obviously very young, and this little boy had passed, and he looked at the girl, the girl had passed as well, and it, it really touched his heart, and so he thought, well, let me, let me read what these parents wrote. And on the stone it said, no more kisses on the brow. These lips are still to me. Dear God, how could we give them up? That's sad. Two children, you can imagine losing your children. Would one would be horrific too. No more kisses on the brow. These lips are still to me. Dear God, how could we give them up? And this pastor was so touched by the, the gloom of that statement that he knelt down on the grass near that stone. And when he did, the grass pushed down and he recognized that there was a fourth line. And the grave marker actually said, no more kisses on the brow. These lips are still to me. Dear God, how could we give them up? To anyone but thee. And one day it will be, I thank God that I did, or I wish to God that I had. Spurgeon said that he wanted to be able to say to God one day, God, I love you. And hear him answer back and say, I know you do, Charles. But so many times the predecision is a decision, isn't it? Well, it's just a small thing. No, there's no small things. Little sins lead to big sins. Well, that's just a, that's just a little thing. That's just a, that's just a minor thing. I'm just going to miss this today. It's difficult to stray too far from God in 24 hours. That's why every 24 hours you need to be very careful to spend time with God. My heart is fixed on Jesus Christ. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You've been listening to a message from the Pensacola Christian College Enrichment Retreat. You're welcome to pass this message along to others, but we ask that you do not charge for it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. If you're a pastor or ministry leader, join us for the next Enrichment Retreat and experience a time of physical rest and spiritual refreshment. To learn more, visit EnrichmentRetreat.com.